0: When we got to Yangxing, everything was festive. You know, my kids were happy, my in-laws were very happy. We had my favorite food. You know, we play mahjong after dinner. Everybody was happy. But, you know, things uh, started to change overnight. China is trying to contain a worsening outbreak of a fatal
1: flu-like virus. The numbers are climbing by the day. People with coronavirus outside the epicenter of the
0: outbreak have now died. Just within days of our arrival, we just felt like we were dropping from heaven to hell.
2: Peng Peng is Al Jazeera's senior cameraman in Beijing. Right now, he and his family are trapped more than 1,000 kilometers away from home in his wife's hometown, Yangshin. It's on lockdown because it's less than a three-hour drive from Wuhan. That's where this coronavirus outbreak, called the 2019 novel coronavirus, began. And from where it's continuing to spread. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The outbreak that started at the end of December, as of today, has killed more than 425 people infected around 20,000 and expanded to at least 23 countries. As the virus has spread, so have fear and uncertainty.
0: We have to presume that the coronavirus outbreak will not be contained. Too many people left Wuhan, this epicenter, before the quarantine. Do you really want to go out to eat knowing that the table next to you might have someone who's been exposed to the virus?
1: On Monday night, there was an important meeting of the most powerful body in all of China, And that body made a rare admission, saying there had been deficiencies and shortcomings in the way that China had responded to the emergency and said that those officials who had failed would be punished. Experts say this new disease may be harder to control for one important reason. 17 years ago, few Chinese traveled overseas. Today, they fly to destinations around the world.
2: The U.S., Singapore, and Egypt are among a dozen countries that have imposed travel restrictions because of the virus. And while they try to keep the infection out, China is trying to contain it. Around 60 million people are stuck in their cities as Beijing hustles to confine the virus. In today's episode, we're talking with a public health expert to explain the science behind the stats and what doctors are doing now to rein in the crisis. But first, we're gonna start with Peng Peng's story. He sent us a series of voice notes about what happened when he, his wife, and his two kids set out on January 20th to celebrate the Lunar New Year, like they do every year.
0: We decided to take the high-speed train from Beijing on January the 20th to go back to Wuhan, my hometown. Just to celebrate the Chinese Spring Festival, we knew that it was this uh, outbreak of a new virus in Wuhan, but it was mostly seen as another flu virus. You know, the Spring Festival is a big deal for we Chinese, and we really want to go home to have a family reunion with my in-laws. So we decided to put on our masks and go home. When we arrived at the Wuhan station, we found there were thousands of travelers like us, you know. The station was totally packed, and there were long queues at almost every boarding gate. Most had decided not to bother or just not even thought about wearing a mask. This is a typical festival travel rush you see every year in China. We changed our trains in Wuhan to go to our final destination. Yangxing is a small county about, you know, 100 uh, kilometers away from Wuhan. And is home to
2: my parents-in-law. There was good food, good conversation, some good-hearted mahjong competition. The celebrations typically last a week and a half. This year, they ended after four days.
1: The Chinese city of Wuhan and nearby towns locked down. No
2: trains, flights, or mass transit.
1: Beijing has canceled all public celebrations.
2: Multiple other nearby cities also imposing restrictions, all in affecting about 23 million people.
0: Officials at the train station sent messages to me, basically telling us our pre-booked train back to Beijing on February the 1st had been canceled as part of the government alert. Teachers at my daughter's elementary school and at my son's kindergarten in Beijing, they caught me asking for details like my family's, you know, whereabouts, including where we were staying, when did we leave Beijing, and when we had arrived in Wuhan and so on.
2: The Beijing schools also asked Peng Peng to check his kids' temperature every day and report back. Staff at his apartment complex in Beijing were also calling for similar information. It built up the pressure on Peng Peng at a time when things in Yangjin were already tense. Peng Peng's father-in-law is a retired doctor. He called a family meeting on January 24th, the eve of Lunar New Year. We planned
0: to, you know, have our family dinner in the restaurant, but it was canceled. We decided to cancel it. Cause it was too risky everyone kept a close eye on the updates about a virus outbreak and uh, we just share with each other about uh, what we read but soon rumors started to fly on social media like wechat we started to read reports like uh wuhan's mayor got fired as a punishment for his, you know, poor performance of controlling this outbreak. Soon, it got, you know, exposed as uh, fake news. But the rumors did highlight the anxiety of people on the internet. One night, people on WeChat started saying that the price of vegetables in the supermarket had tripled. Uh, the next morning, very early morning, my father in law rushed to his favorite store, you know, only to find most vegetables were pretty much gone. He came back just in shock. This is crazy. I've never seen this in my lifetime, he said.
2: All of this happened in just the first four days of Peng Peng's holiday trip. Then, on January 25th, China's president addressed the nation for the first time since Wuhan and surrounding cities had been locked down.
0: President Xi Jinping called the outbreak a grave situation.
2: President Xi Jinping said
0: China was facing a grave situation, urging officials to accelerate the delivery of medical aid.
1: We were shown pictures of the Chinese Politburo in action, including President Xi Jinping. It might not seem much, but it's rare for Chinese state media to broadcast
0: meetings like this.
1: He, however, also exuded confidence that China will win this
2: battle against the epidemic.
0: It reminded me of what happened in the SARS outbreak in 2003. I was a junior student at that time, and and I was forced to stay on my isolated campus for three months with my uh, classmates and teachers.
2: This 2019 coronavirus outbreak has reminded a lot of people of SARS. That was the severe acute respiratory syndrome that spread across the globe in 2003. It also started in China. And a lot of the symptoms are similar. March 2003. Panic grips
1: Hong Kong as a deadly new virus sweeps through the city, one of the most densely populated in the world.
2: Over a period of nine months, SARS infected 8,000 people and killed 774.
1: The SARS coronavirus, as it's known, had jumped from bats to humans and was proving so deadly it was killing one in every 10 people it
2: infected. Those facts have caused a lot of the anxiety surrounding this current outbreak. But how similar are the two? And how do they compare to the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome outbreak, known as MERS, that we saw in 2012? We found someone who could tell us.
1: My name is Scott McNabb. I'm a research professor at the Emory University Rowland School of Public Health.
2: Professor McNabb also worked for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, for 20 years. And he was there when the SARS outbreak happened in 2003. SARS was also a coronavirus, and MERS was too. We asked him how these viruses are alike and how they're different.
1: Well, they're like cousins. From the information that we're getting from the scientists who are studying the genetic characteristics of this virus, that it may be almost almost 90% similar to SARS virus. But um, in the SARS outbreak of 2002-2003, after studying it, people weren't contagious until they developed symptoms. And the same is true for MERS-CoV. This makes it easier for health officials to limit spread once a new case is identified. The evidence to date shows that this may be different. In other words, there may be persons who become infected, they're asymptomatic. It looks like the incubation period is somewhere between maybe three days and two weeks. But during that incubation period, they may be able to uh, pass the virus from one person to another.
2: I'm so interested in in following up on that because... You worked at the CDC here in the U.S. during the SARS outbreak. So how, in your view, has the response to the 2019 coronavirus been different from how public health organizations and doctors were dealing with the SARS outbreak?
1: During the 2002-2003 SARS outbreak, the WHO initiated a revision of the international health regulations. It's sort of like a, a skeleton that tried to address the way that global communities should deal with public health issues like this in future pandemics. But I I would say that more work needs to be done. i expanding on this metaphor. If this is a skeleton, a uniform country-level measuring system for each country, we need to build the flesh and ligaments around the skeleton, which means more collaboration. The Chinese president said that the outbreak, quote, must be taken seriously and that, quote, party committees, governments, and relevant departments at all levels should put people's lives and health first. That's fantastic. Uh, That is a signal from the country's leadership that officials should be transparent about the scope of the outbreak as opposed to restricting information. So I was encouraged by that.
2: A lot of people question whether China really has been completely transparent about this outbreak. But the WHO is standing by the Beijing government. In a press conference last week, Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus made a point of commending China's efforts so far. He had just declared the 2019 novel coronavirus a global health emergency, but said China was not to blame.
1: Let me be clear. This declaration is not a vote of no confidence in China. On the contrary, WHO continues to have a confidence in China's capacity to control the outbreak. Our greatest concern is the potential for the virus to spread to countries with weaker health systems.
2: Here's Professor McNabb again.
1: We live in a really connected world. I'll use the term moving from Blockbuster to Netflix, if I can use that, (laughs) to describe public health's requirement to move into the digital era. We have to be thoughtful and use the internet and uh, the resources that we have now for connection to make a more safe global environment.
2: He says that globalization makes it easier for doctors to coordinate their responses to contain public health crises. But in some ways, it also complicates the response.
0: The coronavirus is also having a serious impact on business.
2: Investors are grappling with the potential impact of the coronavirus. Now the s is on track for its worst loss in months.
1: China is so much more interconnected with the rest of the world that 17 years on, damage to its economy is so much more consequential.
2: Pandemics inevitably hit the world economy. And in the past, we've seen countries stifle crucial health information for fear of a falling stock market.
1: In SARS, there was definitely a wall of selfishness And it was because of the fear of the loss of economic income. As you remember, Canada was greatly affected. And countries were fearful that they would lose all kinds of economic benefits. China's leaders appear to have learned an important lesson from SARS. Don't try to cover it up. China's failure to be open about the SARS outbreak damaged its international reputation. But in order for us to really respond appropriately,
2: we have to build these bridges. As someone who is in this field, I want your take on whether a lockdown of a city and a region is the necessary response to something like this. Because, of course, that's what we're seeing in China. What do you think of that handling of the response?
1: Well, it's new. This hasn't been done before. At this point, I don't know whether it is effective or not. I'm a little bit skeptical right now. Obviously, the disease has, if you can let me use this term, escaped. Seeing cases from all over the global community, so it hasn't worked that well in terms of preventing the localization of the outbreak. It also creates stress within the city. You know, Wuhan is 11 million people. That means the medical facilities are stressed. I've seen some of the news reports come from there that it's created some negative outcome.
2: Those inside the city of Wuhan are becoming more frustrated because medical supplies are running short and hospitals are short-staffed.
1: So. This is a a new intervention, if you will, let me use that term. Most countries don't have the ability to do this, in in fact. And I think it'll be evaluated to see if it's made a difference.
2: So basically, what he's saying is we don't know if the lockdown was the necessary response. You'd imagine that's frustrating for the almost 60 million people living in lockdown cities. But Peng, at least, doesn't seem frustrated. He's concerned confused, even anxious. But more than anything, he seems struck by how his family and community have come together.
0: What does uh, surprise me is how people in the countryside are geared up for such an outbreak. When my mother-in-law called her brother to say, well, you know, we wouldn't be able to visit them this year, you know, the visit in, in Chinese, in nián." Is a very important tradition during the uh, spring festival. But my mother-in-law was totally surprised by her brother's response. Her brother said over the phone, Don't worry about it. We understand it's uh, risky. You can't get in the village anyway because we blocked the road to our village. My mother-in-law was just stunned.
2: Peng Peng says the community seems to have learned from the SARS outbreak 17 years ago, and that now his family is more confident and more optimistic.
0: My father-in-law said, you know, the lockdown screwed up our festival plans, but is the most effective way to get rid of the spread. If everyone follows the party's arrangements, we will win the battle. No matter what, safety comes first my brother in law is a dentist uh, who worked in his hospital to tackle the SARS outbreak seventeen years ago. He said you know SARS killed you know more than seven hundred fifty people in China and it took a few months for scientists to identify SARS virus, but this new Coronavirus, we already knew its gene structure. He says it's, it's not a battle as hard to fight as SARS. Being cut off does worry people like me who are trapped here because I would need to go back to Beijing to work. But what's worse, there's no timetable for this massive lockdown. Nobody knows when this lockdown is going to end. Going back to Beijing from Wuhan has been a fairly easy and enjoyable trip for my family in the past. You know, we could leave, we could have breakfast in Wuhan, and then take a high-speed train, it takes just four and a half hours. And then we can go home early enough for dinner at home in Beijing. So it's fairly easy and enjoyable. But at this stage, it's looking like a mission impossible for us.
2: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve with Alexandra Locke, Dina Kispe, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Peng Peng and Scott McNabb. We'll be back on Friday.